0: Friends, as you take your Bible in hand, we're going to be both in the Old Testament and the New Testament. In Sunday school this morning, uh, we're in a wonderful series of lessons on the good book. It's by uh, Reverend uh, Darren Spool. He's the, Darren Spoo's the senior pastor at a big church in Tulsa, Oklahoma. So that's where one of my hometowns growing up. So I naturally am uh, inclined toward him, but also Kyle Eidelman. And Darren Spoo this morning, I liked how he said, we always say the Old and New Testament. Jewish people don't like us to say that. They, they prefer we call it the Hebrew Bible. But uh, Darren Spook called it the Older Testament, the Newer Testament and the Older Testament. And that's true as well. And we'll be both in the Older and the Newer Testament in the message this morning. As you see from the uh, picture on the screen up above, just a reminder that we're looking for the next uh, number of weeks, we're looking at the good news of the gospel. And even last week we saw even naming it the gospel, uh, keeping... An old Middle English medieval word which meant uh, good news. It kind of disguises or camouflages how good the good news is. We went back to the original word, remember, that evangelion word from Greek. And we saw that historically that term referred to not just good news, but great news. Life-saving news. That was the news that you received when a herald arrived to tell the city that was in danger of destruction. We've been delivered. The victory's won. Miraculously, our army overcame all odds. As remember the the good news after the battle of Marathon, that the Persian army, far greater army, had been uh, defeated. And the city of Athens was saved. The runner ran 26 miles to deliver that good news. It's also the good news of a a deliverance. We've been delivered from slavery. The good news that you're free. You've been set free. We referenced uh, Abraham Lincoln signing the Emancipation Proclamation. The best news you would ever hear. You who were a slave and in bondage have been set free. And we forget how good that news is. We have to think back, some of us, many years ago when the goodness of God's love for us shown in Jesus on the cross broke in fresh. And we understood that Jesus died for my sin and that through faith in him, I could be set free. That the law of sin and death has been broken by Jesus' sacrifice for us. That's so good how good it is and so for the weeks ahead we're going to unpack the goodness of the gospel and the benefits of the good news of the gospel and be uh, amazed by God's love for us fresh and new again what's so good about the good news well this morning if you have your bulletin in hand you look at that picture in the front you say well I thought this was the good news or are you talking about the bad news well the bad news is something very important to know as well in fact I don't believe the good news of the gospel is understandable at all unless we understand the bad news first. One of those good news, bad news. You want What do you want first? The bad news or the good news? Most people, I think, say the bad news. You know, so the good news somehow cushions it. But Sometimes you have to go in that order. A doctor can't come into you and say, hey, by the way, I want you in next Thursday. I got this uh, IV of highly toxic chemicals i want to pump them into your body and you say are you crazy oh oh, i forgot to tell you you have you have a a highly treatable cancer but you got to take this chemotherapy i should have i should have led with that you'd say what is wrong with you well i want you know they mixed it up you got to give us the bad news sometimes we have to have the honest truth we have to have the the truth about my condition what's my what's my condition what's my diagnosis I want to know the hard truth. Don't sugarcoat it. And sometimes we do that. In this world today where it's turned upside down and nothing seems off limits. It seems that in the western culture our society is pushing to make sin acceptable. And goodness is something that you look down on and mock. In fact anybody who wants to live a godly life is seen as The worst of all sins, the only sin actually left is intolerance to hurt someone's feelings. And they try to become more and more outrageously perverted and sinful to see how eventually you'll have to draw a line and then you'll be a bigot and they can write you off, cancel you, destroy your life. It's a crazy world. I don't know if it's the worst it's ever been, but it's getting there. You know, I look back at the Roman Empire where people would buy tickets to watch people kill each other and shed their blood. That was pretty bad. the world we are in today, we really fear for the world our kids and grandkids are going to inherit. The salt and light of God's people is needed like never before. The good news of the gospel is needed. And part of that is sharing the hard truth, diagnosing the problem that the good news delivers us from. In fact, in Psalm chapter 10, I appreciated Kevin reading from the book of Psalms because it speaks very clearly about mankind's wicked heart it speaks in Psalm ten, this amazing passage where the psalmist is talking about we humans in our wickedness, it says, In his pride, in his pride the wicked does not seek him, speaking of God. In all his thoughts there's no room for God. Doesn't that describe us in our humanity, in our busyness, in our pride? In our self-sufficiency, we don't even leave room for the possibility of God, much less the need for a Savior. So part of the good news that you have a Savior is knowing that you need a Savior. People don't want to be found if they don't think they're lost. So part of sharing the good news is agreeing on the fact that it's needed. It's needed so much. Because without the bad news... Of sin, the good news is incomprehensible. Let's share the bad news first. That's what I said. Bad news first. The doctors have to diagnose the problem before they can treat it. That's so important. Many of us know that firsthand. We go through test after test trying to find what is the problem in order that we can treat it. Well, God diagnoses us, all of us, individuals as well as humanity. Our problem is sin. That's not something that people like to hear anymore. You know, I love I love two groups of people. I love all people, but I love two groups especially. I love seniors. We're old enough not to you know, they've lived a life, you know, and they just don't have to go through all of the motions to make everybody like them. They tell you the truth, who they are is what they are, and I love kids. Kids are so honest, so upfront. Funny thing about kids' ministry, though, and I love children's ministry, I love kids' club, is that you talk to a little child about sin. It's a blank. What do you mean sin? Well, you, you and I, sin. No. Maybe you, they'll say. They'll say yeah, Grant, maybe you've sinned, but not me. They, I've never met a child who was a sinner, who copped to it. They are the most innocent. Sure, they look innocent, but we know Wicked little creatures. <laughs> like, like, oh, it is amazing. You don't have to teach them to do that. You know, what's their first word? Mama, dada. Our kids, it was always no. You know, that was like their first no. You know, the first word is no. And they, uh, it, it's amazing. And children, they just reflect. We hide it better, but all of us really have Doubts about our sinfulness, you know, it's part of human nature. I should say, fallen human nature. Because the first thing we want to look at is the universal human condition something that speaks of all of us in a broken and fractured humanity. The sin problem, it's universal. It's not any one group, any one race, it's everyone at all times. The universal human condition. Oh, we know that from passages, especially the Romans road passages from the book of Romans, like Romans chapter three, where we read, for instance, righteousness from God comes through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe there is no difference for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned. That's all of us. No exceptions. And we fall short of the glory of God because that's something we do for something we, when we define sin, we often set our bar too low. It's part of human nature. We rationalize our sin, don't we? You talk to people about our common problem because oftentimes they think that you are you are holier than thou. You think you're good. You think you're holy and that I'm a sinner. If we come across that way, we shouldn't because the Bible says we're all sinners. It's our common condition. One, though, Our sins are forgiven. We're given a new heart. We're given the opportunity to lead a life that pleases God. And the others of us were caught in that eternal cycle of sin and death. Fallen humanity. We often fall into the trap of comparing ourselves. There is always going to be somebody worse than me. You say, what are you talking to me about sin? Have you seen so-and-so? What about those TV preachers stealing money and sleeping with other people's wives? Look at them. We can always find somebody to compare ourselves with. Sometimes when I see the political discourse in the United States, I say they must get down on their knees and give thanks that there was ever a man like Adolf Hitler because they're always comparing their opponents to Adolf Hitler. What would they do without Hitler? It's crazy. We always look to others, and we shouldn't. The bar should be set at God's perfection, and we all fall short. Man's righteousness is like filthy rags in God's sight. Psalm 14 puts it this way. The Lord looks down from heaven on the sons of men to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. All have turned aside. They have become, they have together become corrupt. There is no one who does good not even one. That's such a profound passage. as quoted by the Apostle Paul in the book of Romans. There is none who do good, no, not one. Not saying everything we do is a sin. We don't say that. But it's pervasive. It's who we are. It's our common condition. The universal human condition. And we know where it comes from. If you know your Bible, you know in the book of Genesis, which means beginnings, the the first things, the book of Genesis talks about the fall of man, the original sin by which the human race in Adam and Eve, our original parents, we all fell in them. Genesis chapter 1 tells us that we were created to have a relationship with God. It's a beautiful thing. Genesis chapter 1, God said, Let us make man in our own image, in our likeness. Let them rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, livestock over all the earth, and over all creatures that move along the ground. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Why in God's image? All of the creation that had been done, all of the creatures... And we're a creature. We were created, but the final creature, man and woman in God's image, so that we could have a relationship with God, not just creator and creature, but God created to have relationship, friendship with mankind. That's something that Jesus says he came to restore. Do you remember what he told his disciples? On the night he was betrayed, no more will I call you servants. I'll call you friends. Call you friends. What a beautiful thing. God restores that relationship with himself. That's what his plan of salvation, that's what his removal of the sin problem is all about, to restore relationship with us. But when we fell, the whole story of the fall of man, We see the fact fact that that relationship was broken. How could it be? It's because to truly have love or obedience, there has to be the possibility of disobedience as well. To have love, there has to be the option not to love. Otherwise, it's not true love. It's just an automaton. If you're a robot and have to obey, there's no virtue in obedience. There has to be the choice, the key word, a choice, to disobey. And so in all of the perfection, God set one choice before them, to obey him, to reflect his love for them, all he had done for them in creating them. Don't eat of the tree in the center of the garden. Because that tree has the knowledge of good and evil. I've often thought, I don't think the fruit was any different than the fruit on any other tree. I think it was just the rule. God placed a rule, a choice on this one tree. And in breaking that rule, instantly they would come to the knowledge of evil because they would have fallen into sin and evil. Because they made their choice. They chose against God God in that moment. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, The Lord took the man and put him in the Garden of Eden to work it and take care of it. And the Lord commanded the man, You're free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat of it, you will surely die. Death came through disobedience, through making the choice against God, breaking the relationship with the life-giving God When you remove the God of life, you have nothing but death. The essence of death is separation. We're separated from God. Speaking of the choice that we make every day, the Gospel of John puts it this way. It speaks of Jesus bringing the light of life, His love into the world. And John, after sharing the good news that God so loved the world, He sent His one and only Son, he follows it up with this In verse 19, this is the verdict. The light has come into the world, but men loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come to the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. that's powerful, especially in the original Greek because it says we gave our hearts to the darkness. That we... Fell in love with our sin. We wrapped our arms around it. And wouldn't give it up. We rejected Jesus. Because we'd love sin. It was an emotional thing. It was a heartfelt thing. And I said how could that be? You know there is pleasure in sin. To an extent. But it has a diminishing quality. Sin never gets better. (laughs) That first taste at the beginning is the best and then it's less and less and less and the pain and the shame increases as the pleasure dries up and disappears and you find out it was temporary. It was, a mis- it was just a mirage. But the Bible says we loved our sin instead of loving God because the essence of that is self. Sin is always about self. The root of it in the Garden of Eden, the story, is pride. The serpent being crafty, it it tries to convince Eve and through her Adam as well that somehow God God shortchanged them. God says, well, we shouldn't eat of that tree or we'll die. God, no, no, no. The the serpent says, "You, you got it all wrong. God doesn't want you to have that knowledge because if you have that knowledge, you're going to be like God. Well, he appealed to their pride and they fell the common sin that we shared with the serpent was pride love of self and falling into that humanity has struggled with it and we know that having sin in human existence there's consequences there's consequences the bible calls it the wages your wages are something that you earn And we all, as humankind, have earned separation from God through our actions, through our thoughts and actions and attitudes. They fall short of God's glory and the wages of sin. We know it's always death. But the bad news goes beyond that. You can't shortchange it. People often claim that we preachers, we don't preach about sin anymore. There's always that temptation because nobody likes to hear that they're a sinner. Now, we do, but we don't even like to be reminded of it all the time. Nobody likes that. But it's part of the good news. You can't be saved until you know you need a Savior. And the wages of sin are deep and profound. Genesis chapter 6 tells us that the wages of sin is death, but the wages of sin is spiritual death. Spiritual death. In Genesis chapter 6, we read, speaking of God before the flood, it says, the Lord saw how great man's wickedness on earth had become and that every inclination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil all the time. Self was in the center of It, it wasn't they were actively plotting murder at every point. But you know, falling short of God's glory, plotting murder and gossiping both get you the same consequences. Separation from God, the wages of sin is spiritual death. For a long time, people said, well, it's, it's only because, it's only because those who've gone ahead of us have sinned that we're being punished. It's not really us, it was Adam and Eve, but they had a proverb that, Grandpa or father could eat sour grapes and the the kids would have their teeth set on edge. And God said, don't quote that proverb in Israel. He says in Ezekiel chapter 18, he says, for every living soul belongs to me. The father as well as the son, both alike belong to me. The soul who sins is the one who will die. Sin separates us from a holy God, the God of life. And there's nothing by definition but death. Spiritual death, separated from God. But spiritual death has its corollary in physical death. Again, in Genesis chapter 3, we spend a lot of time in the book of Genesis, but it says in chapter 3, verse 19, by the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground. And that would make sense to Adam and Eve because they knew they came from the dust. God's fingerprints were still on them. They were fresh. Back to the dust? But we were alive for a season. Until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. Spiritual death, physical death. Three score and ten, or a little more if you're strong. Life is so brief because of the wages of sin, is physical death and it's far-reaching in its consequences. King David, in confronted with his own sin and the murder of Nathan, a man after God's own heart, stole a man's wife and had him killed to cover up his sin. Faced with that, he reflected on his nature. He says in Psalm 51, Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. He saw himself as he truly was. I've often asked the question: We live in such a fallen age. Even our goodness has an element of self and selfishness to it, which disqualifies it as righteousness. It's like asking fish in your aquarium, "What's it like to be wet?" I say, "How would we know? We can't know. We don't know anything else." An old quote I've used before. I appreciate what Charles Spurgeon says about sin. He says, as salt flavors every drop in the Atlantic, so does sin affect every atom of our nature. It's so sadly there, so abundantly there, that if you cannot detect it, you're deceived. You're deceived. It pollutes and affects everything. The wages of sin is far-reaching. But just as we finish with that, friends, we continue that famous verse from Romans chapter 6. For the wages of sin, they're earned. They're wages. The wages of sin are earned, but salvation is a gift. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's a gift. We earn our death, spiritual, physical, far-reaching, universal but the good news is that god is giving the gift of life if we stop there some people think well now i can go forth pastor wound me up i can take my bible to work and thump and thump people with it this week i can thump on it and i can thump with it sinners <laughs> but really that's not our job you get that the good news communicating the good news is what we're called to go forth and make disciples the good news. It's there to share. And the bad news is part of that. But really your job is to communicate. God's job is to convict. We communicate. The Holy spirit is the one who convicts of sin. We tell the truth, sometimes uncomfortable truth, the hard truth. So we do it respectfully and lovingly we put ourselves in the picture it's a universal story it's our story only god can convict of sin jesus reminded us of that in john chapter 16 when he said i'm going away his death was the next day on the cross he says i'm going away but eventually it's to your benefit because when i go i'll send the holy spirit The counselor, the comforter, the Holy Spirit, the dunamis, the power of the Christian life. He's coming. And he says in chapter 16 of the book of John, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth. It is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away, the counselor, Holy Spirit, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt. In regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. He will convict. Now, that Greek word, elenko, that's the word of the courthouse. It's what the prosecuting attorney would do. But he would share the truth to the sinner in such a way that the criminal in the stand would come into full agreement and would agree. Yeah, he was guilty. There's an old saying about prison. There's not a guilty person in there. Ask them. They're all innocent. (laughs) But the reality is, when the Holy Spirit convicts us, there's a heart change. We see the truth, the bad news of the gospel. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We see it and we agree with it. We agree with it. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. You can't do that. You can try to scare people into the kingdom. You can try to guilt people into the kingdom. You can go only so far. A guilty conscience is not conviction of sin. Shame and guilt, that's not conviction of sin. When the Holy Spirit convicts us, we see that we loved our sin. But now we see it for what it is, the poison that kills us, and we reject it. We agree with God. We see it differently. Conviction of sin, agreeing with God's judgment on our sin, leads to repentance. Our hearts now turn away from our sin. We reject that love, and we give our heart to Jesus. And we find life. It's not your job to convict. (laughs) It's to communicate with love, with example, with your life backing it up. Oh, friends, the good news of the gospel, news of victory, news of deliverance, news of life and health. It's great news. But before they can receive it, they need to know they need it. We communicate that with love and respect And prayerfully do it, allowing the Holy Spirit room to convict them of their sin and turn their hearts to Jesus. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I thank you for the gospel. I thank you for the good news. Lord, I thank you for the news of salvation, that God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life in him. Lord, that is good news. But before we could receive it, we have to know we need a Savior. We have to know that, Lord, sin has polluted every atom of our nature, that we are by nature prideful and selfish. And, Lord, we compare ourselves to others rather than seeing ourselves clearly. We rationalize our shortcomings Father, that's just who we are. Lord, we pray that you would bring your truth to our hearts, that through people who care enough about their neighbors, their family, and their loved ones, to share the truth, the hard truth, along with the good news, that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Father, give us wisdom in regard to this. Don't let people think of us as holier than thou, as condemning them. The Father as loving them and sharing the good news that we have a terminal illness spiritually and physically. It's called sin. But Lord, in Christ, we have the cure, eternal life through Jesus and his love shown to us on the cross. Father, encourage us in this. Give us your wisdom and your leading by your Holy Spirit, our counselor. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for coming out on this cold morning. Uh, We will be aware if anybody has trouble starting their cars, I hope somebody has good booster cables here. Don't everybody run off, but uh, just uh, greet one another and spend a wonderful time of fellowship. God bless.